This week we're in a letter to the Church of Philadelphia, the faithful church. You know, everybody thinks they're the faithful church. Well, we're going to see what the faithful church is. If you would, stand for reading of God's Word. Revelation 3, chapters, chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our Father, we thank you for this word that is a true word. Thank you that we have the truth that is imparted to us from the living God through the inerrant word of God. We stand on this word. We thank you in a world that is running from you that we are the few, the remnant that are running to you. We grab hold of you and say, ah, but daddy, hold us, comfort us. We need you. Holy Spirit, move within this body. Help us to be uniquely attentive to what you have for us today, for you have something for each person here. Speak to our hearts those things that we need to know and help us to apply what you teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Letter to the Church of Philadelphia, the faithful church. You know by now that the theme is Jesus is coming. That's like hip, hip, hooray. Jesus is coming, and it's not even, it, it can never be more significant than today. Maybe in the Civil War they wanted Jesus to come. Or World War I, they wanted Jesus to come. And we're, this is our day. We want Jesus to come because this whole thing is imploding right before our eyes. And he's coming in judgment, and he's coming to establish his eternal kingdom, a kingdom without end, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has, Jesus has written a personal letter to seven churches, to seven people. He says, Dear Church, and this week it's Dear Philadelphia. This is what I want to tell you. He's speaking about a period of time. Uh, that these churches existed. If you would, look at Arnold Fruchtenbaum again this week. The seven churches, and this is a church of Ephesus, existed from 30 to 100, Smyrna 100 to 313. These predominated in these eras of time. They existed through all periods of time. Today we have all of these churches on planet Earth. Laodicea is the time we are in now. All churches believe they're the Philadelphia church. And I will tell you that most churches are not the Philadelphia church. There's just a small remnant that are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ today. So last week we talked about the, the dead church of Sardis. And they were dead. They were stuck in their sacraments-based religion. And remember, when people are dead, when nations are dead, when churches are dead, what do they need? They need life infused into them. And we recall from our teaching last week, in order to have life, you must be 
born again, born again of the Spirit. Now, we oftentimes use, people say, well, that's Christianese. That's Christian language. Well, Jesus said you had to be born again. And all that born again means is that you believe and receive the gift of life that Jesus offers. He died in our place so that we could live forever. Our spirits are dead until they are brought to life by the Lord Jesus. And we cannot commune with the living God unless our spirits are brought to life. The second we believe the Spirit of God becomes resonant within, our spirits become alive and we can commune with the Holy God. That is what being born again is. Nicodemus was all confused, wasn't he? How can a man be born again a second time? How can he enter again into his mother's womb? And Jesus said, hey, you have to be born again. You have to be born again of the Spirit. And that's what we are when we believe and receive the gift of salvation. And I'll tell you, when you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, immediately, instantly, you have his righteousness credited to you. He looks at you, God looks at you like he looks at his son, pure and holy. Even though we're in this pitiful sin state, he looks at us that way because Jesus covers us. He sees through all of our junk. That's one of the biggest deals that you can ever imagine. In our world that is imploding, with seemingly no answers to the questions, the unrest in our nation and our cities, we said something last week that I want you to remember, that all this stuff that we are pumping into our cities and all these programs that we put into our culture and all these plans that politicians have do not work. You can see we, we put billions of dollars into different things and they don't work. What do people need? They need Jesus Christ. Never forget, Jesus is still the answer. Well, that was good. I prepped you for that amen, didn't I? That was, that was a very good amen. Right on schedule. Yes, amen. Amen. So enter Jesus, enter peace. Enter Jesus, enter hope. Enter Jesus, enter life. And exit Jesus, exit all of those things. This week, we're going to be talking about the faithful church, the Church of Philadelphia. And we have this from Andy Woods' work on the in the book of Revelation, you've seen this picture before. This is just Andy Wood's picture. I liked it because he circles. Every week he does one of these things, and he covered these churches, and he circles them. Well, I like this circle around Philadelphia. That's why you got it this week. But this, again, is indicating the passage of time. As the, as the epochs of time pass, a different church will predominate in that area. Though all of them exist, one will predominate. From 1700 to 1900, it was the Church of Philadelphia. The doors were open to the world. Now we are living in Laodicea, and you know what that is. That's the lukewarm church of apostasy. Jesus said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Next week we'll go through that church. We have the great privilege of going through the church of Philadelphia this week. A little background. Philadelphia was the youngest city of the seven uh, mentioned in the letters. Uh, It was founded by two brothers who had great love for one another. Coins were found in the area with their images on it. Uh, the area was, was replete with vineyards, so with vineyards comes wine, and with wine comes drunkenness, okay? Everybody, people, humans are always going to use something to excess, so drunkenness. So that was a problem in that culture. Don Koenig has this to say about the prophetic application of this. Don Koenig does, has a work on the internet, internet on the book of Revelation. He does a wonderful job quoting him. This missionary and evangelical church started with the great Western revivals. The Bible came into common usage in the common language during this period of time. And actually, people started to read and obey the Word of God, something quite different than had happened previously. 
He goes on to say, the great missionary movements and revivals began when overcomers in Sardis, remember Sardis was a dead church. Sardis was a time of the Reformation church. A lot of good things came out of the Reformation, but they stuck with a lot of their old things. And they had a dead spirit within them traditionally. So he says they taught the scriptures. Uh, they, they taught the scriptures. Uh, let me see this. When they came out of Sardis, requote, believed and taught the truths in the scriptures that had been forgotten or had been replaced with theologies of denominational theologians. During this period, the good news of God's grace was brought to all nations and the teaching from scripture about his imminent return. This is when it started to become popular in the 1700s, the imminent return of Jesus Christ the second coming to set up his physical kingdom. In verse 7, we have the destination and the description of Jesus. And remember that every church, Jesus is writing to the messenger. The messenger of the church, at least I believe, is the, the angel of the church, is the pastor, the leadership of the church. And, it's, and Jesus wants this information conveyed to the congregation about what he expects from his church, the things he likes and the things he dislikes in each one of these seven churches. So in verse 7, we see this, And to the angel uh, of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Now, Philadelphia is, means this. It, it means one who loves his brother, brotherly love. Now, I don't know what the city of Philadelphia is like today. They have the name, but I, don't, I bet they don't have the brotherly love. Do you think, and this, is, this is a rhetorical question with an obvious answer, but do you think this world needs a little more brotherly love? And you would say, yes, we need brotherly love. You bet that. Jesus gave every believer a new commandment to love one another. John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said, remember, it's a commandment. It's an imperative in the Greek. Jesus expects believers to do this. A new commandment I give you, you must love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this way, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus taught us to do with this loving. We, we're expected to love one another, but even went farther than that. Because in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, 43, he says this, Jesus taught us to love our enemies, to do the impossible to love our enemies. But I say unto you, love your enemies. That's not so easy, is it? Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Really, Jesus, you want us to do that. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Folks, this is Holy Spirit, kingdom of God principles. It is not what we can do in the flesh. In the flesh, you poke me in the eye, I'll give you the old three stooges. I'll poke you twice in the eye. You know, that's how humans do. That is not the Jesus way. That is not the Jesus way. So, impossible without God. Impossible without God. This is a God thing. Now, what do our cities need? What does our country need? What does our world need? And I can say to you, it doesn't need more money pumped into programs to fix the human problem. The world needs Jesus, not politicians who pander for votes and power. That is what we're, I hate this, this season. Every four years, every four years this comes around, okay? Every four years this comes around. This season where everybody hates everybody. There's nothing good to say about anyone. 
It even bothered me when Obama was the president because they would constantly say bad things about him. And I'm thinking, this guy has done some good things. I mean, let's give him some accolades when he's done something good. We don't do that in this season. It's just cut down, cut down, cut down. It's so discouraging, depressing. Love your enemies. It's not going to be more money. People need Jesus Christ. It's not the politicians. It's not even those politicians who kneel in submission to evil to garner favor. It's not humanistic endeavors that will help. Look at only Jesus can heal an open, festering, pussy wound. Only Jesus can do that. We have that in our own spirits. We have that in our country, and we have that in our world. Only Jesus can end the, end the chaos in our country. Only Jesus can bring an end to this chaos. Only Jesus truly can bring us back together as one people. Folks, we are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for how many? All. All people. Only Jesus can heal what no man can heal, a broken, calloused heart. We see the description of Jesus here. These things says he who is holy. Only God is holy, folks. Only God is holy. He who is true. He who has the key of David. He who opens and shuts and shuts and no one's opens. Listen to this. Who opens the doors of opportunity? Who opens the doors? Who opens and shuts doors? Jesus opens and shuts doors. It is God, okay? Just remember that. You will never barge through a door that Jesus has closed. You'll never barge through a closed door, ever. You're going to bump into it like a ram, boom, boom. But I would suggest you do this. Donald Barnhouse says sometimes there are paper mache doors that maybe the enemy has put up. So you test the door and say, okay, God, is this the direction you want me to go in? If it's a paper mache door and it's a God-leading direction, that door will come down and you'll go through. But if it's God, it will stay slammed shut. The principle is that we join God where God is at work. You can trust in Jesus to direct your steps. You can trust your Jesus to get you through this mess called chaos of life on earth because he who is holy knows what he is doing. He who is holy knows what he is doing. He who is true knows what he is doing. Remember, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only truth. Thy word is truth and the spirit is truth, but he is real truth. And he who has the key of David, he knows what he is doing. He opens and closes opportunities for us. His decisions are final. All authority belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. This isn't some, some negotiable thing with God. It's not some negotiable thing with the, with the Godhead. He is in authority. Everything belongs to him. If he accepts, listen to this, if he accepts a person or a church, nothing can separate them from him. And if he rejects, and he only rejects those who reject him, okay, that decision is final. Listen to this statement. It'll come up on the screen. In the ultimate sense, Jesus has complete and sole authority over the door to either life or the door to death for all of humanity. He has the authority. But hear this, and this is amazing. This has to be added. He leaves the choice up to us which we will walk through, the door of life or the door of death. When the decision is made, is sealed with his blood. 
and it is a final decision. Keys represent power. Keys represent authority. Jesus' power overcame death. He has the keys to life, eternal life. Satan, remember, had the power of death. How so? Well, it says in Hebrews 2.14 this, that through death he, Jesus, might destroy. That means that destroys katagero, completely cease, completely destroy death. Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage and fear of dying. Jesus is a bondage breaker. Did you know that? He is a bondage breaker. Jesus is a fear breaker. We do not have to live in fear. Now, the question is, and I, when I read these verses when I was younger, I'm wondering, what, Satan can just come up and kill you anytime? I mean, is that what he's saying here? No, that's not what he's saying. Satan's power of death came in the garden when Adam and Eve fell. When they went into sin, Adam's sin was imputed or credited to every human. So we are all born into this world with a sin curse. Jesus took the sin curse on himself on the cross. And whoever believes that Jesus died for them, Jesus took their sin curse, and now they can have a right relationship with God. We're no longer separated from God. We're reconciled. Another great word, reconciled, brought into right relationship with our God because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in our place. Folks, this is a big deal. See, we say this so many times in Christianity, it just kind of flows. This is a big deal. Jesus reconciled us to, a, to our Heavenly Father. Remember, before we were reconciled, we were under the wrath of God. All humans that are separated from God have not received the gift of salvation, ultimately are under the wrath of God. God doesn't want people to be under his wrath. He wants them to be saved. Do I have any pleasure that the wicked should perish? Turn and live. That's what he says over and over in Scripture. Remember who is in complete control of your life. You know, we have this fear of death, fear of death, fear of what's going on, fear of what's going on in our cities, fear of what's going on in our country, fear of what's going to happen next. Oh, constant worry and despair. Look at, listen to this, Psalm 139, 16. No one dies without our sovereign God's approval. You must realize that. You saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when, yet, when as yet there were none of them. In your book, my timeline was laid out. You know what that means to me? God brought me into this world on time. Isaiah Thomas, June 21st, 2020, at 0607, came to planet Earth. On time. Exactly. Now, now Hannah thought, God's late. I mean, this, Isaiah's late. I mean, when is Isaiah going to come? Well, Isaiah came on time. And Isaiah's name is written in that book, and he has an exit time, as each one of us do. We have an exit time. So don't worry. Don't worry. God holds you in the palms of his hands. Psalm 116.15, when it comes that time for us to move on, listen to this, precious in the sight of the Lord, of Jehovah, of Yahweh, is the death of his saints. That precious is, remember, is yakur, yakur in the Hebrew, bright, honorable, clear. Oh, it's precious. Timios in the Greek is the same meaning. Precious, clear, honorable in the sight of God is the passing of his saints. Folks, we do not have to worry. God has this thing all under control. He is sovereign. 
He is going to win. We are on the winning team. Even though, it, look, it, it might be the last of the ninth with two outs, and it's three balls and two strikes, and it's 15 to nothing, and it looks like we're losing, and all of a sudden, a bunt. And a guy gets on first. The rally starts. Jesus comes back. We win. Amen. I'm going to say I'm going to give myself. Amen. That's right. A commendation. Like Smyrna, the church of Philadelphia had no condemnation, only a commendation. Verse 8 says this, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door that no one can shut. No demon can shut this. No emperor can shut, shut this. No despotic ruler can shut this door. If Jesus opens the door, it is open. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. So Jesus opens the doors of opportunity. This is speaking of opportunity for us. He opens the door, but listen to this. You must walk through it. He's going to open it. He gives you the opportunity, but guess what? You have to step out. Remember, step into the water. Wait out a little bit deeper. Anybody ever hear that? That's an old song. Okay. You have to move out. You do. You actually have to move. You have to move out. From 1700 to 1900, the, 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 the ministerial efforts went throughout the whole world, and the doors were wide open. China, Russia, all over this world, the word of God went out. Jesus' formula for opportunity was this. You, Church of Philadelphia, you, Church of Calvary Chapel, Battle Creek, you have little strength. You have little strength. Remember, it's not about your strength. It's about his strength in you. That's what it's about. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We don't look powerful to the world, but God looks at us different than the, than the world does. Any, when you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do exceedingly and abundantly more than anything you can think of or imagine. As the power of God is working through you, carry out God's calling. Remember William Borden. He was heir to the Borden fortune. And his dad didn't like it because he became a Christian and he witnessed it at the college that he was at. And there was great influence that he had there. And he convinced his son to take a world tour. See the world, son. I don't want you to go into this Christian thing. Experience the world. And he went on a world tour, and his heart was broken for the people of China, for the Muslim population in China. William Borden then went to Egypt to prepare for the missions in China. And William Borden, at the age of 25 or so, I don't know exactly the, the age, died of meningitis and never made it to the mission field. But in his Bible, this was recorded, and it would be a great thing for you, all of us to live by. He, they opened it up, and they saw no reserves. In other words, hold nothing back. Hold nothing back. No reserves for the king. No retreats from what's happening in the world around you. No retreats from what, whatever obstacles are. Keep pressing forward. And then the last thing he said is no regrets. And the man died, and he's got written in his Bible as he knows he's dying. He filled in the third thing, no regrets. I serve my king. He is, my name is written in his book. He knew the moment I would come in. He knew the moment I would exit. No regrets. You have little strength. 
You have kept my word. Folks, obedience to the word of God gives us the power to do the impossible. Obedience ignites the Holy Spirit power within us. It does. It does. The obedience, disobedience quenches the Spirit. It puts out the Spirit's fire. It dampens it. Oh, you have little strength. You have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. The name of Jesus, folks, is the character of Jesus. This church was unique in that it represented Jesus as he truly is. Quite unique in this world today. Because most people today do not go to a church that represents Jesus as he, at least in the West. Now, if you're going to a persecuted church like Iran where, where there's a massive explosion, a massive revival, there's all kinds of people being saved in Iran. Quite unique, quite an amazing move of God. Those people know how to represent Jesus Christ. We represent him as he is. And you know who he is? He is Jesus Christ, kurios, master, ruler, owner. He is God incarnate. This church did not cower. It did not pander to what the world was doing around it. It did not fear. They did with boldness declare who Jesus really is. You know who you are if you are doing this like the Church of Philadelphia? You are a bond servant, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a doulos. Your will consumed with the will of the master. That is what you are. Stay faithful. This is huge, especially today. Stay faithful. How do Christians today deny his name? Well, you can make your own list. I just made a few things here just to help you out. When your actions do not reflect Christ's character, you deny his name. When you claw and manipulate to be first, you deny his name. Remember, Jesus said the first shall be last and the last shall be first. When you seek to be served and not to serve, we deny his name. Remember, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give myself a, a ransom for many. When you allow your flesh to rise up, and listen, how many of us have not done this one? Our flesh rises up and demands my rights. I have my rights. We deny his name. And when people believe there are many ways to God, and weak-willed believers or weak-willed churches agree with that, we have denied his name. And remember, it says in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, if we deny him, he will deny us. That is a scary verse. And that's the reason why people die for their faith. Question for you. What is your main calling? What is your, why are you here? What is your main calling in this fallen, chaotic world that we're living in? And I'm, I want to suggest to you, this is getting to be more and more significant all the time. There's, this is no time for little soft marshmallow Christians. This is no, the Michelin Christian, that dude's got to go. Hercules has got to come in. The Hercules Christian has to come in. What is your main calling in this chaotic world? We are to represent Jesus as he truly is. King of kings, Lord of lords. We will not take his name in vain. We will not misrepresent who he is. How do we do that? We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We represent our king as he is. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 to 21. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, his representative, as though God were making his appeal through us. He uses us. 
And then Paul goes on to say, we implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be made sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's our job. The Church of Philadelphia, they're great ambassadors. They represented Jesus as he was. Folks, that is our duty. What do people in our society mostly want? They want a Jesus to fit in with their life. Not we fitting into Jesus' life. We, we want him to fit into our life, to allow us to live any way that we want. I'll take that Jesus. I'll take the Jesus that'll, that'll just give me anything I want. What we need today, folks, we need Christians with backbone. That's what we need today. Christians with backbone, Holy Spirit backbone, and represent Jesus Christ as he is. Now, that's not us going out there and screaming and yelling at people and going, get, get saved or get left or whatever we do when we're really aggressive with this thing. That's not how we approach it. But when God brings somebody into our path and he opens a door and he allows us to speak on his behalf, we take the opportunity and tell them the love story of Jesus. Tell them the love story of Jesus. In verse 9 through 11, the faithful church promise, the promise to this church, verse 9 through 11. Now, if you have checked out, there's going to be a point in here where I want you to really check back in. I will tell you when that is, okay? So if you drift, you can drift for a little bit, but come back. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Oh, that's strong, isn't it? See, Jesus wasn't really tolerant, was he? No. He wasn't politically correct. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. Now, this is where I hope to remember to reel you back in. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. This is talking about the tribulation period. And I believe this is talking about our assured exit from here prior to that time frame. Verse 11, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. So, don't overlook in your life when you see everything falling apart around us. Please do not overlook this. Jesus is in charge. He's the really one in charge. I will make them come and worship at your feet. And he mentions the synagogue of Satan. These are earth dwellers that will bow to Christ's authority through his church. Quite different than our world today, bowing to evil. We see that right now with our leaders in this country. They're not leaders. They're, they're fake leaders. Like we have fake news, we have fake leaders. They're bowing before evil in our country. Isaiah had it perfect in Isaiah 5.20, calling evil good and good evil. Look at, recall Satan and this world system has always demanded that humanity bow down to it. There's nothing new here. There's nothing new here. Full assimilation, full capitulation, no resistance. That is what we are seeing today from some, from some of these radical movements. No resistance will be tolerated from you. Who are the synagogue of Satan? In context, they were Jews fighting against the church. They denied the Messiah. 
Those who say they are Jews and are not, they look like Jews, sounded like Jews, but they were against Jesus. Those who say they are Christians and are not, there are a whole bunch of those in our world today. Outward show does not reflect a true heart. Outward show does not reflect a true heart. Recall, mankind are face, face watchers, aren't we? Face, we make judgments by looking at people's faces. God looks past the externals, folks. God looks at the heart. I love what Martin Luther King said in his I Have a Dream speech. He said this, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin. And I say, amen. That's the externals. But the content and the character of their hearts, of their hearts. Look at a person can look like the real deal on the outside, but be corrupt on the inside and not genuine. What does the world respect in a Christian? What does the world respect in a Christian? You ever wonder that? I think the world respects someone that's fully committed to Christ. If you're half in and half out, and you're kind of a, a hypocrite marshmallow blender, they don't want that Jesus. They don't want that Jesus. They want the Jesus that made a difference in your life. That's the Jesus that they want. What does our chaotic, lawless, plunging into the depths of darkness world need today? And I already said it. Men and women of metal. Men and women with spines of steel who live out their faith, full of the Holy Spirit, will not compromise no matter what. The God, they will not compromise the gospel message for the social gospel message. That is what's being promoted today. Look at Paul had this incredible thing to say in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I marvel that you, he's talking to the church in Galatia, that you are so, tur- so quickly turning away f- so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not a- another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be separated from God forever. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Folks, we want to give the people the truth of who Jesus is, the real gospel of Jesus, not the social gospel. If we give this the real gospel, there will be social benefits to that, but the real gospel is what changes lives. This is how we truly love people, folks, by telling them the truth. And you know what that's called? Hate speech. And, I, and I'm telling you, we are one election away from not being able, from being punished for preaching the truth of the Word of God. We get the wrong president, we get the wrong senators, we get the wrong congressmen, and we could be inhibited by preaching different sections of this Word because it's offensive to this world that is running away from God. We need to tell people about the real Jesus, not agreeing with the world to avoid the pain of confrontation. No, we don't do that. Real love, now hear this, real love does the hard thing speaks the truth. It is unloving to agree with sin. Look, we can love people, and we want to do that. 
but we cannot agree with their sin. It is unloving to enable sin. It is unloving to do that. And it's unloving to turn a blind eye to sin. So how do we address those that we love, that we love in our families and people that we come in contact with, that we encounter? That we encounter? How do we address those in sin that we love? Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy 2.24. This is how I think Christians are to, to approach the world around us. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. If you find yourself getting into a dogfight with somebody over the Word of God and your little Doberman thing goes up here, that is time to back off. That is, that is not, you're starting to take the place of God. Your flesh is starting to get in a flesh fight with somebody else. No one to back off. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, watch this, he must gently instruct. How does that look? It doesn't look like swords drawn and that sort of thing. No. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. It is God that grants repentance that needs to knowledge of truth. And they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. See, they're all trapped. It's, It's a spiritual war. They are trapped in powers and principalities that have them. It's not a human, human to human. There's, there's forces behind this thing. Who's taken and escaped the trap that was taken captive to do his will. It's God who grants repentance. Remember, we fight this thing at the spiritual level. How do we do that? Prayer, 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 prayer in the spirit, the word of God, speaking the word of God. We cannot beg, bow, or steal, manipulate people into the kingdom of God. We cannot do that. God brings people in. God saves people. He uses us in the process, but it's his, it's his thing. And I tell you this, it's also important that we are dealing with folks that we set up healthy boundaries, that we say, okay, no farther here. You can go no further. That's the most loving thing that you can do. You have to set up boundaries and say, no, you cannot do that to me anymore. We cannot go past that level, that, that boundary any longer. The real gospel, folks, is Jesus is still the answer. The social gospel is this. Mankind fixes the problems of the world without God. If you see what's happening today, God has been kicked out, and into that vacuum has come chaos. That is what has happened in America today. The social gospel, folks, does not change hearts, does not change lives, and does not change destinies. If you, if you are not saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, your destiny is sealed. Only Jesus can change your eternal destiny. If you believe the real gospel, today you are swimming against a strong current of this world and even the majority of the so-called church. Folks, I, w- I would suggest keep swimming. Keep swimming. Swim harder. Kick harder. Kick harder. Swim harder. And you want to end your life with no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. All out for Jesus. This is our time. Now, if you have checked out, this is verse 10. Check back in. Jesus gives this true remnant church a heads up on a huge issue, the tribulation period. He says this, because you have kept my command to persevere. 
I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. Delineator, whole world. All through the epochs of time, there have been troubles and Christians have suffered in this world. This is talking about a time when the Antichrist will exert and leverage pressure on the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Those are the earth dwellers. Now, who is kept from the trial? In the text, it says those who persevere, those who don't give up, those who don't cave. This would be true believers. They will be kept from this awful, horrific time that is coming on the world. It is the worst time that the planet Earth has ever seen. It is ahead of us. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to keep you from this. It will, be, it will be so bad, Jesus said, that unless those days were shortened, no flesh will be saved alive, he said in Matthew 24. Remember, who is kept out of it? Those who persevere. They make it through the trials. God will give the earth dwellers during this time frame a chance to become heaven dwellers and to repent. He'll use the 144,000 Jews that will be witnessing throughout the world. He will use the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. He will use three angels. One of them will give the gospel to the whole world. Everyone will know the truth. But it will cost them extreme suffering, and it might cost them their life to transition from an earth dweller to a heaven dweller. We know that many will be caught up in this. In Revelation 7-9, we know that every tribe, tongue, and nation, there will be people coming out. We know in 7.14, Revelation 7.14, these are the ones that came out of the tribulation. Jesus promised to this faithful church and to all who are faithful to him today, I will keep you from the hour of trial. This is a huge promise. The church of Philadelphia, the faithful remnant church, see, we might not be called Philadelphia today. Folks, there's faithful remnant churches all over. There's Baptist churches. There's, there's even there are Calvary Chapel churches. There's Episcopalians. There's Lutherans. They're, they're going to be faithful. Again, not a whole lot in some of those, but there's faithful servants in every one of them. Many people today do not believe in the rapture of the church. They believe that the word keep is this, guard you or protect you, and that the promise of God will keep you safe through the tribulation. The problem with that is this. In Revelation 6, 9, many are slain for the word of God. Many are slain. This is not keeping you safe through this awful time. Taking you out and rescuing you from this would be a better view. The only people that are guaranteed safety in the tribulation period are the 144,000 Jewish witnesses and the one-third remnant of Israel that God allows to escape the Basra and escape the Antichrist carnage. Those are the only true groups. If you are a believer or if you are a Jew at that time, because he's, Antichrist is going to try to kill every Jew he can, and if you are a believer, you'll probably suffer and be martyred for your faith. Jesus said in verse 11, I am coming quickly, which means suddenly, unexpected. We think it means the rapture of the church. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5.9. Why? 
For God did not appoint us to wrath, but obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hold fast, folks, as our world devolves right before our eyes with chaos reigning, with lawlessness that's off the charts, the norm. And what makes this so different today is that this lawlessness is embraced by our politicians, is embraced by our media, is encouraged by our educational professors, particularly in the higher universities, and our population has bought into it. That is the difference. There's a great pressure to cave in. There's a great pressure to buy into the lies of the media. Don't cave. Don't crumble. Don't embrace the lies. Hold fast. Why? That no one may take your crown. No one will steal your reward. Remember, there's going to be a beam of seat judgment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're talking about a judgment of works that Christians have after salvation. We're saved by grace through faith, but our works are important. They're going to determine rewards that we have from our, from our Savior. This is a big deal. In verses 12 through 13, we're almost done. Hold on. The exhortation. He who overcomes, Nikeo, victors, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, this is ownership, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, he who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar. Now, what in the world does that mean, the pillar? Well, we had the picture before of the pillar, the, the temple, and we had Joaquin, and we had Boaz. These are the pillars, and these represent strength and stability, strength and stability. Now, I want to suggest to you something. You, this was a temple, the Jewish temple. You are now the temple of God. God now dwells within you in the holy place, the naos of God. These pillars are a picture of the strength of the Spirit of God, giving you strength and stability to stand to whatever comes at you in life. You have the pillars of strength. You actually have the triune pillars of strength of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You realize that the whole Godhead dwells within you. We usually ascribe it just to the Holy Spirit, but the whole Godhead dwells within you. Chuck Missler in his book, Kingdom, Power, and Glory, talks about you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The pillars are a picture of you being firmly planted and strong, not moved. Your mind will be strong and not be overcome by the indoctrination that you are receiving. So, God's promise to overcomers. Those who are pillars of strength, I will write on him the name of my God. Folks, that's ownership. This implies ownership. We belong exclusively to God. No other competitors. Remember, God will not accept another competitor in your life. And the name implies family. I'm in the family of God. What a blessing forever and ever. And I will write on him the name of the city of my God. We are citizens of an eternal city. It's the new Jerusalem. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 9 through 21, we don't have time to go through this, but in about a year we'll be there, and then we will go through it then, okay? 
but we know that New Jerusalem is coming down. And we have a picture of the New Jerusalem. Now, I want to show you this. It is a cube, 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500, length, width, and depth. And it's going to come down. Some people believe it settles on the, on the earth. I believe there's going to be a little gap here. There's going to be people going back and forth here and that sort of thing, carrying out missions and whatever God's going to have us do. Uh, actually, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. I don't know how this whole thing is going to play out in the eternal state. But the new Jerusalem is going to come down and be above the earth. At least that's how I look at it. Now, on the next one, you're going to see the size of this thing compared to the United States. It, it covers over half of the country. This is going to be a huge area. And you remember the, the height and the depth, and it's going to, there's going to be plenty of room for everybody. Now, I want to show you on the next one how Hollywood has kind of defamed this cube. And you'll see this. Does anybody recognize this? Yes. Yes, you will be. This is the Borg. This is the Borg. This is Gene Rodman. This is the board. You know, they, they've got this cube, and you will be assimilated in, in, into the Borg. Uh, be part of the collective. That's what they want. They want you to be part of the collective. Resistance is futile in the Borg. Resistance is futile. That's what they're saying today in, our, in many places in our country. This is the epitome of groupthink. You want a groupthink? You're a Borg. You know, God made us with the freedom to think. Think as individuals. So, I'll write on him the name of my God. I'll write on, write on him the name of the city of my God. And then I'll write on him my new name. That's amazing. Jesus is going to be known by a new name. He will give us an eternal, new eternal name by which we will know him. And you know what? We will see him as he is. When we are glorified and he will have a new name that we will recognize forever. We see that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. We're going to see Jesus will be like him. We'll see him as he is. And think about this. The architect of this new Jerusalem, right now, you know what he's doing? In, in John chapter 14, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you so. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's where you're going. You're going to have a special room just for you. Now, let me ask you this. I mentioned this before. Do you think your room's going to be just like, is my room going to be the same as David's room? I mean, David's got computers in there, and he's got all this stuff in there. And I, I, I got pictures of Harmon Killebrew and Mickey Mantle. My, they're going to have different rooms, okay? They're going to, they're going to be different. They're going to be, God is variety. He is variety. Your room is going to be special, special for you. What a, what a great thing to think about. Just in closing, I'll just remember this. Jesus holds everyone who hears this message personally responsible. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In closing, the Church of Philadelphia, the faithful church. Now, again, everybody believes they're the faithful church. You believe you're the one that's in. The Mormons believe this. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe this. The Baptists, the Episcopalians, the Seventh-day Adventists, the Lutherans, the Catholics, everybody think the Protestants, you know, they think they're the faithful one. But the faithful church is really a remnant believer church. There's really very few. The end times, last days, folks, will be terrible. 
The tribulation will be terrible. The faithful church, I believe, will not have to go through the tribulation period. I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, if I am wrong, and I could be wrong, there may be a pre-wrath rapture. I'm going to make a case for the wrath of God starting with the first seal judgment. And you'll see that in a few months. We know that it's going to be terrible, that Jesus will come back at the climax of history. The planet at that time will be decimated. As the time grows closer, few will stay faithful to Christ. Apostasy will be the norm. And that is what we are seeing today, where a falling away from the faith, the lukewarmness is the norm. Falling away. Recall the words of Jesus regarding the condition of the world prior to his return. He gave us a heads up what it would be like. Luke 18, 8, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? There's going to be so few that will be believing. You know what it tells me? It tells me that a lot of believers get killed in the tribulation. That's what that tells me. Matthew 24, 37, as it, days, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the second coming of Christ. Folks, this is devolving. We are devolving, not evolving. We are devolving as a people, and we are still in a day of grace. The challenge is, is to get the word to as many people as we can. There's still people coming into the family. Even though we are in the church of apostasy, there are still people being saved, but it's not large groups. It's onesies and twosies. It's one or two at a time that, that God is still bringing into his family, at least in this country. There's a whole bunch of them getting saved throughout the rest of the world. It's like America has kick God out, and God says, okay, if you don't want me, I will leave, and this is what you get to live with. But he's still saving people here. So we still have a duty. You can see the darkness in our world is overwhelming. Lawlessness is abounding. The love of many are growing colder and colder. All warning signs given to us by Jesus in Matthew 24, 12. We are rapidly, folks, this is what is happening. We are rapidly descending into a one-world government a one-world religion. When we see this thing coexist on bumper stickers, syncretism, remember that word that I told you about, that where religions and, and different things are, are coming together, and it's a blending together of things? No, Jesus said there's, a, there's one way, and it's his way. And people hate us for this message. But it's a love message to humanity. We are rapidly descending. All signs point to the end of the ages on our doorstep, the day of, I believe the day of the Lord is imminent, a day when Jesus takes back planet Earth and deals with the Antichrist, false prophet, and the earth dwellers who reject him, who hate him. Francis of Assisi said this, as, he has some advice for the remnant church, witness wherever you go. Proclaim his name wherever you go. And if absolutely, use your words. You should have a life that really demonstrates who Jesus is. They will know we are Christians by our love. Allow this world to see Christ in you. And you know what you're going to have to do for that? You're going to have to stand strong and stand alone. Because you are in the minority. You talk about a minority? We, remnant believers, are the minority. Keep watch. Don't be moved. Keep be strong. Don't be moved by the chaos in our world. And tell people about the love of Jesus by your life, 
and use your words. Jesus said in John 9, 4, Work while it is day, for the night is coming when no man can work. A time when Jesus closes the door and says no more. Done. Finished. The time is short. Kingdoms are in conflict. The lines are drawn. Work for the master while you can. You will be glad that you did. God gave us his all. Give God your all. May we be found faithful until we are called home. Like the faithful church, may we remain faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you that you've given us these churches that we can learn from. And I will admit that I've been many of these churches throughout my life. And as I've said before, I've lived a compromised life from time to time. I've been corrupt. I've had a dead spirit from time to time. I've been lukewarm. But Lord, I want to finish this race faithful, a faithful follower of you. I can only do that as I stay connected to you, as I dwell in you, as I dwell in your word, make my home in, your, in you and in your word. I can only do this as I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, that I yield to the Spirit of God in my life, that I'm more and more in conform to the likeness of Christ. That is how we're going to remain faithful. Lord, you've given us the tools. You've given us the strength. You've given us your spirit. Help us to walk in what you've given us. You've given us the, be, the ability to be really overcomers in this world of great compromise. Holy Spirit, you be the strength. You are our pillars of strength. You are our Boaz and Yaakim. You are the one that gives us stability in a world that is unstable. May we walk by faith and not by sight. May we walk with a with a with a spring in our step, not with our head down and depressed and discouraged. We know who wins. Our God wins. And may we have the courage with love to tell people about Jesus, that he truly is still the answer. Holy Spirit, use this word in each one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen.